Father, we just want to say thank you for this day. God, for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to sing, to pray. Lord, as that song says, I, I pray that you would be our vision, that you would be the best thought of our day. God, that you would be our king, that you would be everything. Lord, you are our future. You hold our future in your hand. As we had two funerals in our church this week, Lord, it's just a, um, it's just a reminder of how temporary life is and the fact that you hold the very breath of our lungs in your hand. And when you say, the time is up, God, we, we are yours to take as you please. Jesus, I pray today that we would just take a step back, that we would remember once again who you are, the power and authority that you have in our lives and in this universe. And God, all things are working according to your plan and your will and your ways. And God, we would like to think that we're in charge, but there's something greater around us that's going on that we're just a small part of. And we just humbly ask to be a part of your plan. God, as we talk this morning and we continue to read in the book of Daniel, I ask that you would speak into our lives. Lord, that you would remind us of the importance of your timing, of what you desire from us. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters this morning. Lord, I pray for Betty Bruce and her family. Pray for Miss Linda Thompson with the loss of her mother. Pray for David Needeth, Helen Scruggs. Lord, we lift up Steve Reynolds and his grandson Cameron to you. And Lord, you know all these people that are having some, some physical issues. And Lord, we just ask that you would touch them today. But God, most importantly, we need a spiritual touch young to old, from saved to unsaved, from young in faith to old in faith. God, we need a touch from your Holy Spirit today. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would not only just be in this place, but God, you would come into our hearts that right now, as each individual prays, Lord, that they would quietly ask you, Holy Spirit, come into my heart this morning and speak to me and do something new in my life. Father, we love you today. We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather together as a group of believers. And we pray that all things that are done this morning would be pleasing and honoring to you. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your sacrifice for our sins. And we ask all this in your heavenly name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we are still in the book of Daniel, but this morning we are skipping to chapter 9. So if you thought you were going to get to read Daniel in the lines then, I'm sorry to disappoint. But if you're that set on it, uh, 
Right now, that is Perry and Naomi's favorite story in the Bible. So if you come to our house about 8.30 p.m. when we put them to bed, you can sit in our laps and we'll read you the story along with them. But we are in chapter 9 today. And, you know, as I said, the, the passages that we've been choosing, I feel like are very beneficial to us for the application of our lives in the day and time that we live in more than some of the others. Not that not all are, but I feel like these are, are very special in their timing and uh, in their meaning. So um, last week we did, we did a timeline. I'm, I want to do this again with you to kind of take you to where we are in chapter, uh, chapter 9. Because as I said before, there's a lot of time that passes in between chapters in the book of Daniel and chapter 7 and 8 are kind of out of order. And so you kind of lose track of that. And then when we get to where we are in chapter 9 today, it kind of flip-flops on us. So, so let's do this. So Daniel was born in 620 B.C. That's 620 years before Christ. And 15 years later, at the age of 15, Daniel is taken into captivity along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to Babylon in 605 B.C. So so you got to remember we're counting backwards in time with B.C. Um, I don't know about y'all. Sometimes that gets a little confusing. I have to sit down with my calculator because I hadn't done math in like 20 years. And so you just got to add all this stuff up. So... 15 years pass, Daniel's taken into captivity. So, 52 years pass from the time he's taken into captivity to where chapters 7 and 8 are taking place, somewhere between 553 and 547 BC, when Daniel is receiving those visions. Now, remember, that's during that 23 year gap when Daniel is. He's not really associating with the kings or the nobles. He's just kind of back in his own corner. He's doing his own thing. He's seeking the Lord. He's praying. He's reading scripture. And God is giving him visions of the things that are to come. And that's what's happening in uh, chapter 7 and 8, which we're not going to read about. So, um, so even though we're moving forward in time, we're going backwards in the book of Daniel. So, Eight years pass, and then chapter five takes place, where um, uh, Daniel, at this point, had been in Babylon for 66 years. He's 81 years old in chapter five, okay? So he's an elderly man at this point. He's been in Babylon for 66 years. The best years of his life have been spent in a foreign kingdom serving, uh, you know, different rulers and, and experiencing this plethora of highs and lows of serving the Lord and, and honoring him and these great spiritual victories. And at the same time, these extreme frustrating, frustrating parts of life where he's being punished for these good things and honoring the Lord too. And so um, in chapter five, where we were last week, you know, the handwriting on the wall, uh, Daniel's brought in to read it. Uh, Cyrus of Persia conquers Babylon and appoints Darius the Mede. And all of that happens like Boom, in 539 BC, there's a lot that happens. And so you got the transition of power. Darius the Mede is appointed to Babylon. So even though Cyrus is the ruler of Persia and that kingdom, Darius the Mede's in charge of Babylon. And so that's the one that Daniel's going to be kind of associating with over the next few chapters. And in chapter six, okay, one, about one year passes. And in chapter six, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Okay, so you got chapter five, and you got all these like long periods of years that pass, but then in chapter six, like one year passes. 
And then remember chapter 7 and 8 has already happened previously, which is a little confusing, but then you get to chapter 9. And uh, by chapter 9, about around a year, maybe a little less than a year, um, Daniel is reading from the book of Jeremiah, and he learns something pretty significant, which is what we're talking about today. That happens in 537 B.C. Daniel is somewhere between 82 and 83 years old. Okay? So you, you get from chapter 5, 6, all the way to chapter 9, and a lot of that's happening right there together, and Daniel is an elderly man at this point. So in chapter 12 of Daniel, uh, about... A year, maybe a little less than a year passes, and Daniel, uh, Daniel passes away in 536 B.C., and he's roughly 83 years old. He could be 82, according on how his birthday felt, but he's around 82, 83 years old. Now, <clears throat> we're in Daniel 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and, and I want to warn you today, okay? Move a little bit. Move a little bit. Wake yourself up. Today is not going to be super exciting. All right, it, it, it's it, it it's going to be like one of those things of like it, it's uh, it's serious. Okay, like th- th- this passage and the applications we're going to talk about is serious, and so um, you got to be really careful not to to check out because uh, it's not necessarily going to be like super entertaining. But the applications are are really simple and they're really important in your life. Okay, you got that. Just, just giving you forewarning. All right, so let's read this. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. And during the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. Now, that was just kind of the, uh, the way uh, of showing repentance and honoring the Lord uh, during this time. And that was a very prevalent thing during the time period during the Old Testament. Um, very meaningful. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But in verse 4, as Daniel is praying... Let's look at his prayer. It says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. O Lord, you are great and awesome. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. And we're going to stop right there, okay? Because remember, we're not reading all this. I encourage you guys, go home, read this entire passage. Super fascinating, very helpful in this. But if you're taking notes this morning, write this down, take take, take mental notes of this. These are super important. There's five points this morning. Now, don't panic. It's not going to be any longer than usual. The points are short. But there's five points this morning. The first point is, is Daniel is still reading. Write this down. Remind yourself of this. This is so very important to your life. How old is Daniel at this time? 
He's around 81, 82, 83 years old. Okay, so he's, he's on up there. He is seasoned. I mean, this guy has made it to filet mignon. He is aged and seasoned to perfection. All right? And in his life, as he's prayed, now I want you to think about this. Daniel is not at this point of his life where he has said, this old dog don't learn new tricks. He hasn't got to the point where he says, I've done everything meaningful that I'm ever going to do in my life. I'm just going to hang it up. I'm going to set it on cruise control. We're going to mail it in from here on out. He doesn't do that. As Daniel has always done in his life, he is practicing very simple aspects of his relationship with the Lord. And one of those things is reading Scripture. Now, remember, as we've read through the book of Daniel, and we've talked about this, there have been significant amounts of time that Daniel has moved through the kingdoms, underneath various rulers through these kingdoms. And there's been long periods of time where he's basically been inactive in the limelight of what's going on in Babylon, through Persia, through all this stuff. He's just kind of like, he's doing his thing. He's honoring and serving the Lord. And reading scripture is a huge part of that. When Daniel first comes to Babylon in chapter one, which Pastor Timmy preached that sermon a few weeks back, he knew the word of the Lord. He knew the commands that Moses had written down about what they should and should not eat. It wasn't the fact that Daniel was ignorant of God's word or that he did not know it in any way, but he already knew God's word. Even from a young age, he had a good understanding of what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. And here he is as an 80, probably 82 year old man, and he is still reading God's word. You with me this morning? Now, the key word in this passage that I want you to think about right now as we're talking about this point is the fact that he read the writings of the prophet Jeremiah and he learned something. That's important. And and I I want to challenge you on this because I want you to understand in the 60-something years, probably about 67 years at this point that Daniel had been in Babylon... And serving, he's been reading the word of the Lord all along. He's been praying all along. He's been seeking the Lord. But he never stopped doing the little things. And he's still reading God's word. And anybody in here who's been saved for a significant amount of time, who's read God's word for a significant amount of time, can tell you, you can read a passage of scripture, you can read it a million times, And then all of a sudden, one day, years down the road, at just the right time, just the right circumstance, just the right thing that you're going through in life, and God reveals something brand new to you that you never saw before in that passage of Scripture. He does. And here's Daniel, who is, think about this. I mean, most of us would say, who's the most spiritual, influential person that you've ever known in your life? And we would probably say people like Mother Teresa and Billy Graham, right? He's basically like, he's, I would say he's better than him. He's biblical, okay? I mean, like we, we read about him in scripture. He's the most spiritual, influential person in the world during this time. He has represented God faithfully throughout his life. And he has caused the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of Persia to be influenced because of his faithfulness to God. And yet at 82 years of age, he is still reading God's word and he's still learning from it. You're sitting here this morning 
And I want to challenge you as individuals that if you want your relationship with God to mean something, and if you want your relationship with God to grow, and if you want your relationship with God to be exciting and moving and have life in it, you need to be reading God's Word. It sounds so simple and so elementary, but it is absolute truth. You need to be reading God's Word and learning from it. And if you read it, guess what will happen? You'll learn from it. And don't fall into the trap because you might read stuff and you may say, that was boring. I didn't get a whole lot from that today. Well, don't quit just because today you didn't learn anything because at the right time, in the right moment, when God decides to reveal something new to you, he will. But we have to be faithful. We have to be present. We have to be available for him to do that. And, and listen, you, you, you paying attention this morning? Because this is really important. You know, we've said it for weeks that, that the, the true significant things that happen with God happen in the very simple, everyday, boring, Monday parts of life. And that, what's going on there prepares you to do the, these great big things that Daniel was able to do in the kingdom with the rulers, okay? And we've said that time and time again. And I want you to be careful today not to fall into the trap that, well, that's just too easy. It's just, it's, it's too simple, okay? Like if, because we as people, we, we think that the harder it is or the more difficult it is, the more significant it's gonna be or the more meaning it has or the more we'll get from it. And so if I, if I looked at one of you this morning, I said, here, take this piece of trash and go throw it away. How would you feel about that? You would feel a little, I mean, like you would probably do it, but it would be a little demeaning. It's like, why can't you throw away your own trash, you lazy bum? It's, you know, it's, like, it's kind of one of those things. But now think about this. As kids, for kids, we give them really simple tasks that they can accomplish, right? So for Perry and Naomi, they're just kind of at that age where we... We try to give them things to do that they can accomplish. And so for Perry and Naomi, one of the big things is like, hey, buddy, throw this away for me. And he'll take it. He'll run and go throw it away. And then we celebrate because he did something productive. He did what I asked him to do. It was a good lesson. He's learning to throw away trash. It's a good thing. Now, if I asked you to throw away my trash, you'd be like, you little lazy. But, you know, whatever. You might think whatever. But for him, it's, it's, it's easy. And, it's, and it makes him feel good to be able to contribute. That's one of the things that kids want to do is they want to contribute. And our faith, I want you to think about this, your relationship with God, your faith was designed to be easy. So simple that a child could do it. God did not design it to be complicated or hard or or so impossible that only certain people could accomplish it and reach it. He designed it to be so simple and so easy that a child could do it. So this morning, don't overanalyze your relationship with the Lord. Take it for truth and understand that if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, one of the best things you can do is read his word. It's one of the quickest ways to learn about your Father in heaven, to learn what he desires from you, to learn all the the promises that he has for living for him, and all the punishments that come for not. You really learn who God is through his word. It reveals a lot about our heavenly Father. 
Do not underestimate the power of reading God's Word. It sounds very simple. It sounds too easy. But it is absolutely so vitally important to you growing in your relationship with God, reading His Word. Point number two, Daniel was still praying. And the important part about this aspect of of Daniel's prayer is, is it wasn't just the fact that Daniel prayed and then read his Bible, but it was the fact that there was always this cycle of prayer and reading of Scripture happening, and it happens at different times. Sometimes you pray first, and then you read Scripture. Sometimes you read Scripture, and then you pray. Well, Daniel, in this moment, reads Scripture, learns something from it, and then the first thing he does is pray. Because when you think about what Daniel learned, we're going to talk about that at the end in point five, but when he learns the significant piece of information in Jeremiah, he doesn't go out and say, hey guys, look what I, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, look what I found. Like, this is so cool. He doesn't announce it. He doesn't start teaching people. He doesn't proclaim. He doesn't take credit for it. The first thing Daniel does is get on his hands and knees. He begins to pray. He begins fasting. He puts on his sackcloth. He sprinkles himself in ashes. He does everything that he needs to do in order to seek God first. We've talked about that over the past few weeks about how important it is to make sure that in your life you are seeking God first in all things and prayer is a huge aspect of that. So you're sitting here this morning and you say, okay, how can my relationship with the Lord grow significantly? How can it be healthy and meaningful and have life to it? Well, you read God's word and you pray. Something that Daniel is doing, 82 years old, he's doing the same old thing that he's been doing for the past 67 years in Babylon, whether he does it back in the back room where he's on his hands and knees praying, and then they catch him and they throw him in the lion's den for it, or he's sitting there and he's reading the word of the Lord and he begins, he says, I just learned something new, we're praying about this. Because it could have been one of those things where he said, oh, I've been here 67 years. I might get to go home. And then he starts celebrating and packing his bags. No, the first thing he does is he prays. He gets on his hands and knees. He starts seeking the Lord because God is the one to whom we have to seek. It's all his plan. It's his purpose, his ways. And if we really believe in the God that we say that we believe in, it would be crazy for us not to seek out his plan and purpose through prayer to see what he wants us to do in these moments and not get excited and do what we want or or get carried away by emotion or get carried away by what others think or do or the fact that we could tell someone about it. But Daniel's very adamant about just taking care of the little things, doing the little things that count because he knows that God is preparing you in the simple, just the everyday mundane boring aspect of life so that when the big time the big stuff comes and God's really doing something significant that you can be ready and be sustained in those moments think about how many spiritual people you know who've been spiritual leaders over the years and they get in the limelight and they're they're constantly influencing people and it seems like they're doing this great amazing things and all of a sudden it's like their, their life their ministry their morality just falls apart while that's going on. And the truth is, is because this is not sustainable if this hasn't been taken care of first. Like like the little stuff, the behind the scenes, the prayer, the reading of scripture, the honoring God, 
the attitude of king, keep your riches and your wealth. I'll give you the truth of God because that's what I'm supposed to do. When that attitude is not there, the limelight is not sustainable. And so everything in your life, for you to be faithful to the Lord when people are watching, to, to be able to be a witness and a minister to other people, to be able to, to, to not necessarily stand up on stage and preach, but to be able to communicate the message of the gospel to a friend or a coworker in those moments in life, for you to be able to do that, it has to happen here first. And Daniel displays that amazingly in this passage as he's continuing to read God's word. He's continuing to learn from God's word and he's continuing to seek God first in his prayer life and making him the first and foremost priority in his life. And that's how your relationship with God has meaning. That's how it has depth. That's how it has life and influence. That's why Daniel was able to do the amazing things he did over here because this over here was done right. Point number three, we got to accept spiritual responsibility. This is going to sound crazy to some of you, and it's different. But when you, we read verses one through six, okay? But verses, we, verses four through six was the beginning of this prayer that Daniel began to pray, but the prayer actually flows through verse 19. So verses four through 19 is Daniel's prayer. And as Daniel is immediately fasting and praying, and he's dressed himself in rough burlap, and he's sprinkled himself in ashes, and he's praying this prayer, Daniel is not saying, oh Lord, Forgive those people. Forgive, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're idiots. They're, they're knuckleheads. They're sinful. Uh, they don't know any better. I'm sorry that they've sinned. I'm sorry they've rebelled. Lord, help them. Save them. Lord, convict them of their sins. You do not see the attitude of prayer in Daniel's life. And that is huge. Because when you look at Daniel from, from, from chapter 1 all the way through, there's never really anything in Scripture that, that promotes anything that Daniel did that was negative in any way. Like there's no identified sin. And that's one of the things you see throughout Scripture. For most people that we read about in Scripture, it usually mentions something that they did that was not right. There's some type of sin or something present in your life. You don't see that in Daniel's life. And from, from chapter 1 all the way through, Daniel is representing the Lord in amazing ways. And he's doing all the right things. And yet, he's not praying to God and saying, God, forgive them, forgive this, you know, help them, convict them. No, you, you go back and you look at it. He says, Lord, we... Let's see. Make sure you get it right. We have sinned against you. We have done wrong. We have rebelled against you. We scorned your commandments. We refused to listen to your servants. And the whole prayer is Daniel including himself in the sin of Israel. 
And, and I want you to understand, it's not just Daniel including himself in the sin of his people in that moment, in that time. But Daniel is including himself in the sin of the people of Israel throughout the course of their entire history. Let me explain that a little bit. When you think about God bringing Abraham and showing him the promised land, and he says, Abraham, this land is going to be yours. But he says, but the sins of the people have not yet warranted their destruction. And so you're going to have to wait, and your descendants are going to have to wait. And over 400 years later, finally, the sins of those people were enough for God to say, okay, enough's enough. We're going to move those people out. We're going to punish them, and we're going to bring the people of Israel into, and we're going to give them this land. You, under, you following me? So, so there's this understanding that the sins of people for generations kind of have to begin to pile up to get to the point where God says, okay, enough's enough. I'm not going to let this go on anymore. We're going to do something big about this to make sure we get these people back on track. So fast forward to Jeremiah's time when he's 15 years old and God finally says, enough's enough. We're going to do something about this. I'm going to punish the people of Israel. We're going to send them into exile. To it's basically like, Hardcore punishment. A lot of people's gonna die from this, but also it's kind of like a timeout. Y'all do timeout? We do both. We like to whip and timeout. It's just according on what day it is, which one works better. Uh, but sometimes timeout works better than whipping. And so you sit him over there in that chair, especially Perry. You put him in that chair, and you, you sit him over in the corner, and you make him sit still. It's torture. I mean, like you could not set him on fire and him be any more miserable than what he is having to just sit still and not do anything. But God takes the people of Israel and he moves them out and he puts them in captivity because for generations they have been sinful. From the very beginning, from, from wandering through the wilderness with Moses, from the time of the judges to the time of the kings to the time of the prophets, they had rebelled against God and worshiped false idols and those sins piled up, which brought them to Babylon. And so you understand today, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, Daniel, when Daniel was 15 and he went, into exile to Babylon, his sins personally had not piled up enough to warrant him being taken into captivity and spending his entire life in Babylon. You with me? That was not his. It was a conglomeration of his people's sin over generations which piled up and brought that to him. So track with me this morning. You need to understand today that other people's sins are not just their sins. Your sins as an individual are not just your sins. The sins of others will reach out and touch you in more ways than we would ever like to admit or acknowledge. Right? Think about this. 22, 21 years ago, planes flew into the World Trade Center. The sins of few men getting on an airplane and doing that changed life for us forever, right? Like everything, a lot of different things are done differently now because of that. Their sin reached out and touched you. And you think about all these people today who are, who are challenging the fabric of morality, the fabric of sexuality, the fabric of sexual identity. And you say, oh, that's them, that's their sin. No, 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 it, it is reaching out and it is touching us as a culture and a society. 
your mom and dad's sin touched you in more ways than you would like to admit, more ways than what they ever thought or realized it would. It has affected you throughout your entire life, for better or for worse sometimes. Your sins will affect your children. And everything that's going on in our culture, in our country, and in our world right now, the sins that are being committed, they will affect us. We cannot sit in our seats this morning and say, well, that's out there, the sin out there, that's them. We're living righteously. We're living holy. No, that sin is going to reach out and touch us. And Daniel was one of the most godly men probably to ever walk the face of this earth. And when the time came and he learned what the prophet wrote and learned that the time was coming for this to kind of come to an end, he didn't sit there and say, Lord, forgive them, forgive, forgive my ancestors. He said, no, forgive us. Because Daniel very much realized that even if it was just something as simple as him looking at his mom and daddy in the face and saying, no, I didn't do that, and lied through his teeth. And that's the only sin that he ever committed. He is still guilty of sin. Or if you took something from the grocery store when you were little, a piece of candy that you wouldn't spend, and that's the only sin that you were ever guilty of that you ever committed, you are still guilty of sin. And the sin of our neighbor is wrapped up in our sin. And whether we realize it or not, our sin has reached out and touched other people in ways that we would never like to admit. It's all connected. You look at our community this morning, any of you ever had something stolen from you? The sin of your community has affected you. Somebody ever give you the California howdy? Chew you out, be rude to you? Just whatever. I mean, like, you, you just name it. Other people's sin affect us. We're all connected in that. And if you're sitting here this morning and you think what's going on in our country, in our world, in our community right now, well, that's them, that's out there, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids for generations to come. And Daniel is a product of that. But Daniel does not whine and cry in his situations and circumstances. Daniel mans up and he takes spiritual responsibility and he begins to pray and repent and fast and mourn for his people and say, God, forgive us. We have sinned. Because it's not a matter of who worshiped an idol and who broke the, you know, not honoring your father and mother commandment. It's a matter of the simple fact of we're all guilty of it. We've all brought the sickness and disease of spiritual death into our lives through our sin, and we're all guilty of it. And the only way it's going to change, and the only way it's going to be right, made right is, is if we all come together and we begin to pray and acknowledge it and seek God's face together as a group of people, not as individuals, but as a group of people. Point number four, God's word proved true. Everything that God said that he would do happened exactly like he said it would happen. And so as we read verses 11 through 14, Daniel is continuing on in his prayer. But he's talking about how 
he is acknowledging God's truth in everything that God said he would do through the law of Moses. So let's read this together, verses 11 through 14. It says, All Israel has disobeyed your instruction (coughs) and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You still see the hour? It wasn't like, man, our ancestors were they, were, they were really dumb. They really dropped the ball. It wasn't mom and dad. It wasn't kings. It wasn't judges. It wasn't prophets. No, it was, it's all of us. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord, our God, by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. And so here you have Daniel for 67 years who's lived in captivity. And he's not complained. He's not fussed. He's not said, God, when are you going to take us home? When are you going to let me out of this? When are you going to do this? He actually read the release date. I mean, like imagine a prisoner getting the letter that they're going to be let out. And they only have like just a little bit of time left. And as they're reading this, they're not like, oh, I'm excited to get out of here. And I'm excited to go back. I'm excited to see what can happen and how, you know, we can do this thing and, and make it right. No, he's sitting there and he's saying, Lord, you were right for locking us up in here. You were right for doing this. It may not have been what Daniel wanted, but he acknowledged above his own desires and wants that God was justified in doing this because he did exactly what he said he was going to do according to what the Israelites chose to do and what they chose not to do. And in our lives, we live according to the same law and standard. If you're sitting here today and you think that, that we as people, as, as America or, or a community or, or however you want to look at, even as a church body, can live in sin and go on and in function underneath God's blessing without him eventually calling to account our actions, you're only fooling yourself. None of us are exempt from God's word. And whatever you see written in scripture and whatever you've seen done in scripture, you can rest assured that even for us in this day and time, If we continue to live in sin, these are the things that are going to come upon us as people. It may not happen in your lifetime, but you can rest assured that your children or grandchildren will experience what happened here if the sin continues on. It's going to happen because God's promised it. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've you've said... I believe in the one true God. I believe in God the Father. I believe in his word. I believe in the Holy Scripture. I believe that what it says is true. Then you've already committed yourself to believing that this is what's going to happen. That this is just if it does happen. And what Daniel is praying in this moment is he's acknowledging God's justice in this. It wasn't easy. It wasn't necessarily what he wanted. 
but God was just. He was right for doing it because he said that he would, and yet the people did it anyway. God's word proves true time and time again all throughout history from coming out of Egypt all the way through until our present day. Kingdoms have risen and fallen time and time again according to the Lord's hand. And you can go back and you can look at the historical records of things that brought about the demise of kingdoms throughout the years. And it has a lot to do with the things that you see written in God's word. I mean, it talked about God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. And then God raised up Cyrus of Persia. World leaders of world empires being raised up to do God's will. Nebuchadnezzar to punish the people of Israel. Cyrus to be raised up to bring the people of Israel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And that's where we come to point five. God has a timing. God's got a timing. And I don't know about y'all. There have been so many times in my life where we have been in a situation or circumstance where it's not been easy to endure. And you just wish that it could be over. You wish that you could move forward, move past this, get beyond this thing because you're just ready for it to be over because you know life would be easier when this is done. Or there's a goal or a task that you want to accomplish in life and and you just wish that you could just get to where like that was done because life would be easier if you could accomplish this goal or this task, if you could do that. And there's been so many times in life where we, I, I catch myself and Hannah and I talking about like wanting to move forward in time to, to reach this goal or see this time through so we don't have to endure it anymore. And yet, to understand that God has a timing that is appropriate and beneficial whether we realize it or not. Amen. Yeah. Daniel spends 67, about this time, he's probably 68 years in the Babylon by now. But 70 years must pass, and he learns this from reading Jeremiah the prophet, you know, Everything that God said would happen, happened. And Daniel acknowledges this and he believes it. And then he reads that 70 years have to pass. And Daniel's like, wait a minute. I've been here like 69 years. Like We're just a little bit away from being able to go home. The time is coming for us to be able to go home. And he didn't spend 69 years whining to God, asking, God, can we go home yet? Think about this. How many of you would be like that? God, can we go home yet? How about now? Can we go home now? Can we go? I mean, it's like the annoying kid in the back seat. We there yet? How about now? How about now? It's like, hush, kid. Get the back hand. But he served God faithfully in his situation and his timing. And when the time is right, God reveals to Daniel everything that he needs. You, you know, that's, that's the whole thing about it is, is that Daniel is faithful in his relationship with God. And while he is over here in, in the back corner and he's reading God's word and he's praying, it was never relevant for them to say, okay, in 70 years, you're going to get to go home because the preparation hadn't been done. It, it, it hadn't happened yet. But Daniel's praying. He's reading all of a sudden in year 69, as Daniel is reading the word of Jeremiah, he learns that the 70 years has almost happened. Well, guess what? That 70-year marker is leading up to the point where everything happening back here is preparing for this over here, this big thing that everyone's going to see and everyone's going to be a part of to be able to take place. And Daniel's faithful over there. And because he's faithful over there, 
all the stars get lined up for the big things to happen over here. God's got a timing. He's got a timing that works perfect in his life. And guys, I cannot tell you how many times in my life that I've wished time away to stop enduring something or I've wished time away in order to experience something that I was looking forward to. And yet, whenever I get there, when you finally get there, you know, it's like, because you just like, it seems like those times last for eternities. And when you finally get there, it's like the whole time God has been preparing you and leads you and just works it out perfectly for this moment. You're like, oh, that's why. That's why that happened. That's why we endured that. That's why. You waited so long for this to happen. There's, I cannot tell you how many situations in my own personal life where that has happened, where you come to that point and you say, that's why it was right now. Because God worked it out more perfect than I could have ever dreamed it up in my head to happen when I wanted it to happen. But that's how God works. He's got a perfect time and he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. <clears throat> And when you look at this, you know, it's really amazing because all this happens right there together. You know, Cyrus takes over Babylon. He appoints Darius the Mede. Daniel gets thrown in the lion den. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. It all happens right here together within like a two, two and a half year period. And then if you skip over to Ezra chapter one, Ezra chapter 1 records at the beginning of the chapter that it says, In the first year of Cyrus' reign of Persia. All right, so you're kind of on the same timeline. You with me? Same timeline as the end of Daniel. Ezra begins to uh, come forward. And he writes down that God stirred Cyrus' heart in his first year. I mean, how cool is that? Daniel is reading God's word. He's being faithful. He realizes the 70 years is up. He begins to pray and fast and seek his face on behalf of the people of Israel. And when he does that, all of a sudden, God stirs in Cyrus's heart right about the time the 70-year marker is coming up and everything that God said was going to happen has happened and the time frame that God said that Jerusalem was going to lie desolate is coming to an end. And all of a sudden... Out of nowhere, God stirs in Cyrus's heart and says, I want you to rebuild my temple in Jerusalem. And it's not a matter of Cyrus going and rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem, but he takes the Jewish people and he sends out a decree and he tells them this is going to happen. And he releases some of the Jews to go back and to begin the construction process of rebuilding the temple. And the people are sent back. But God also stirs in Cyrus's heart to order the neighbors of the Jewish people to provide them with gold and silver and livestock and all the other things that they would need to go and make that journey possible. How cool is that? That it wasn't a matter of, okay, Israel, now you're free to go. You're on your own, you knuckleheads. Don't screw up again. But no... When the timing's right, God says, okay, enough's enough. You're out of time out. Here's everything you need to go succeed to do what I'm calling you to do. And he speaks to Cyrus and stirs in his heart to provide everything they need to go and do what God is calling him to do. 
And the last thing that God does to stir in Cyrus's heart is that Cyrus himself goes and retrieves the articles from the temple that Nebuchadnezzar removed and placed in the temples of his false idols. And Cyrus himself goes and retrieves all the articles of the temple and he brings them out and gives them to the Jewish people to take back. Now that's awesome. For God to work all that out, to stir in the most powerful person on earth that the world would look at and say, well, they've conquered the world. They came to this power on their own. They did this on their own. And yet you read scripture and you understand how God raised Nebuchadnezzar to punish the people of Israel and Cyrus to come and to take over that kingdom and to be the person that God was going to stir and send them back to rebuild the temple and take the Jews back to their homeland. God's got a perfect timing. But the question this morning is whether or not we trust that whether or not we're going to honor that, whether or not we're going to sit here and we're going to wish time away so that we can move on to the next thing or get out of this thing. God's got a timing. And the question is, how many of us are going to be faithful? For all the times that we sit around like Daniel and it just seems like life is just happening and it doesn't seem that significant and it doesn't seem that important. And because of that, there's this great temptation in our life to just say, well, it's not that significant. It's not that important. I'm just going to kind of do what I want to do right now. I'm going to accomplish some of my goals. I'm going to, I'm going to neglect. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to you know, gain some things in the world rather than truly focusing on God and reading his word and doing simple things like focusing, reading, and praying to God. We lose sight of him and we just get caught up in other things, but to be like Daniel and just do the little things so that whenever the big things come and it's time to, to jump in and do what God is stirring in people's lives and do the next big thing, that we're ready to go. Because the truth is, is that God's probably got all kinds of big things going on that he wants people to do. You know, Jesus said, Pray to the God of the harvest because the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. There's always harvest to be harvested, but there's very few workers in order to do it. And that's because the workers aren't prepared over here to come over here and do it. And the question is, how faithful are we going to be? In the little things, when no one's watching, how will we pray? How will we read? How will we take spiritual responsibility over our brothers and sisters in Christ? over the people we work with, the people in our community, how much are we willing to do those things in order to see God's plan and work and his revival and his forgiveness and his Holy Spirit to be able to move and work? How much are we willing to do those things in order to see the big things happen? Let's pray. Father, we just want to say we love you today. And thank you so much for your word for your love, your grace, and your mercy. And God, I pray today that as we leave this place, as we go home, as we go back to our community, as we work throughout the week and go to school and just interact with people of the world, Father, I pray that our hearts would be prepared to do the work that you've called us to do, not because... That's what we're focused on. But God, that we're prepared because we focus simply on you. Through the reading of your word, through prayer, through fellowshipping with other believers, God, help us to be ready to do the work, to do the harvest 
whenever you call us to do it. We love you today and we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.